a young boy finds a prank gone wrong leads to a downward spiral in his life, transforming him into an ultimately terrible creature. A demented parody of a few classic children's stories including The Three Little Pigs, The Boy Who Cried Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood, The Big Bloody Wolf Coming to You is a brutal, dark and twisted version of these tales. You can find The Big Bloody Wolf Coming to You on Amazon in Kindle and paperback versions, written by Harrison Alexander Layford. Also, you can find the audio version on this very channel. So please, make sure to check out The Big Bloody Wolf Coming to You. Greetings to those who watch below. After a unexpected absence due to hospitalization and a few days R&R, I can now happily say that I am 100% better and back to bring you some scares, which today will be in the form of our paranormal roundup of the month. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that gets you shoutouts at the start of every single video, just like this. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Lefty Kim, Chris BLK Chris, Tegan S, Tasos Keramaris, LT Punisher 666, Wicked Witch, and Lisa Watts. And also a very special thank you to MA Way and Christina Groves, who have both just hit 12 months as those who dwell below. Congratulations, guys. It's absolutely fantastic to see you joining the 12 month club. Soon we'll be having a two year club as well, which is just incredible. If you want to join them, make sure to check out the link in the description box. Also, you can find me on Instagram at brimstone underscore below and on Facebook at the Brimstone Below Horror Channel. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy. They Were Reaching For Me by Hunter of Ghost When I was a child, my father was in the Navy so my family and I moved around a lot. Between 1980 and 1981 is when my story began. At that point in time, I was three to four, and we were living in a house my parents had rented in Salt Lake City, Utah. I don't remember everything about living in this house. However, there are certainly things I will never forget. I cannot recall the exact day or time it all started. I, to this day, don't know exactly what to make of what I saw, even though I've been doing paranormal research and investigations for the past 23 years. I don't know how to ease into it, so I'll just say it. Every single time I was alone in a room in this house, I saw hands. Yes, hands. Not floating hands, or even just a set of hands. No, I saw all kinds of hands, coming from every piece of furniture in whatever room I may be in. Couch cushions, from under the bed, from kitchen cabinets. They were everywhere, always reaching for me, or so it seemed. I would be terrified and try to make sure someone was in whatever room I entered. Why just hands? I don't know, and not sure that I ever will. I never told anyone about the hands until years later. My mum would often tell me stories of my imaginary friend named Sandy. After she came around, we always played together, and I even began to name all my dolls Sandy. 
I saw a blue sailor dress one day and told my mother that that is the kind of dress Sandy always wore. I don't remember Sandy, but oh, how I wish I did. I can also remember times seeing my father drunk and abusing my mother, a side of my father I had never seen before, something that I will never forget as well. Something like that will scar a child. When I was about 19, my mother and I were talking about a scar over her eyebrow, a gift from my father. I remembered the night it happened and can picture everything clearly in my mind. Suddenly, it hit me. I was picturing the living room in that house in Utah. I asked my mother if the beatings and my friend Sandy all happened in that house, and sure enough, it had. So, I finally told my mother about the hands. She thought I was crazy at first. She kept saying that I must have had a bad dream about the house and was just remembering it incorrectly. She was wrong. During our stay in that house, I would put my pillow in the hallway and sleep with my head outside of my room and my body on the inside. I did this so that I didn't have to see the hands, so that I could actually sleep. I asked if she remembered me doing that, and she did, but could never figure out why. I wonder if the owner of the house had shared with my parents any history of the house. That is when she revealed that upon moving in, the owner told my parents that one of the bathrooms may have bloodstains, as the previous tenants had sacrificed animals in it. Sure way to either leave something sinister or stir up activity. My opinion, it was the house. The hands I saw, Sandy, my father's sudden personality change. My mother told me that when they moved into the house, my father began to drink heavily and beating on her. Upon moving out of the house, my father promised that he would never drink and or hit her again, and he never did. I don't know if the previous tenants left this behind as they moved, or if they went through strange happenings as well. One thing I have no doubt about, though, is that Utah has its own little Amityville horror house. Haunted Childhood Home, Doppelganger Type Entity, by Pretty in Pain. I lived and grew up in the same house from when I was 2 to 17 years of age. I've had many experiences in this house that I absolutely believe to be paranormal. Previously, I believed that the experiences were caused by the fact that there was, and still is, a younger woman running a senior care centre from the house across the street. I would frequently see fire trucks and even coroner vans due to the ill health and death of those residents. My theory was that these seniors would pass away and wander around for a bit, stumbling across my house in the process. I thought that this theory of mine was fairly reasonable. However, it is worth noting that I recently learned that the previous homeowners were affiliated with the mob. Whatever the reasoning may be, my parents and I have had our fair share of unexplainable encounters. The house has three bedrooms, my room, my parents' room, and the computer room. My room was directly across from my parents' room, and the computer room was right next to my room. I really didn't like the feeling of the computer room, and I would often run past it, just so I didn't have to dwell in its presence longer than needed. Ever since I was about ten years old, I would hear typing in the computer room at night. I knew my parents were already in bed, 
but I would creep out of my room just to make sure it wasn't one of them. The computer room would be empty and dark every single time. The typing would always subside when I was in the doorway, and it would always continue the minute I went back into my room. It was certainly unnerving, but not compared to what I would face in the future. I would like to note that I did look into this matter logically. I tried to rule out any other sound the typing could have been, and I thought I found a solution when I heard my dad turn the page of a newspaper in his room. I thought that is what I'd been hearing all along, and that I was just creeping myself out for no reason. However, when I experienced the typing noises when my dad was out of town, that explanation was ruled out for me. As I grew older, the computer room was a place I spent a lot of time in. Like any other teenager, I loved to be on the computer. One afternoon, I was home alone. I was reading online about nothing in particular. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the shadow of a tall man with a top hat walk right past the computer room and disappear into my room. At this point, I had not visually seen anything paranormal in the house, so it was incredibly frightening to me. The room didn't get any colder, and I didn't feel any good or bad energy, but I'm certain of what I saw. I continued with my reading and put it temporarily in the back of my mind. I was not aware of shadow ghosts at this point, so imagine my surprise when I stumbled across pictures and personal accounts of shadow ghosts online. Another time, I was silly enough to read scary stories at night in the computer room. I was really enveloped in what I was reading, and I suddenly felt someone touch the back of my neck. I turned around to see absolutely nothing and no one, which sent my heart racing. The touch was cooler than the average human's, but it was not uncomfortably cold. That was the only time I had physically felt anything paranormal, and I am very thankful for that. It was also the last time I read scary stories at night in the computer room, as anyone might be able to guess. The dining room of the house held two significant events over the years. I was lying on the couch watching TV one afternoon, and the remote fell off my stomach by itself. I certainly feel that could have been, and probably was, gravity simple as that. But it felt off to me. I just let it go that afternoon. The reason for mentioning the remote is because my best friend was spending the night a few days later. It was dark outside, and we were sitting in the dining room talking. I told her about the remote falling off of me, and something very strange happened. The handle for the blinds that opens and closes them literally flicked very hard against the blinds by itself. There was absolutely nothing that could have caused this. The air conditioning wasn't on, but would not have been strong enough to do something like that anyway. It was not a tiny movement. It was a deliberate flick against the blinds. My best friend and I looked at each other with immensely wide eyes and agreed it would be best to go in another room. For visual reference, the dining room was almost directly across from the living room, so much so that you could watch TV sitting at the dining room table if you were at the right end. Additionally, before I recall this next part, I would like to point out that the light switch for the dining room chandelier was like a knob, where you could spin it to make different levels of bright and dim effects. Now that was cleared up, 
My parents and I were sitting in the living room watching A Perfect Storm. About a quarter of the way through the movie, the chandelier started to gradually get dim, brighter, and then turn off completely. All of us tried to ignore it, but it kept doing the same thing. It wasn't flickering, it was turning on, getting brighter, and then more dim, and so on until it went off. It kept turning, changing to different levels of light, and then turning off again. It was definitely creepy, and all of us felt it. After a minute or so, my dad finally said, Okay, whatever you are, we believe in you. Go away now. Even he sounded kind of unnerved, and that's saying a lot because he's six foot four and an ex-football player, not to mention an incredibly practical person. The light antics kept going on for about 45 more seconds after my dad addressed whatever it was, and then they stopped completely. When I was around 13 years old, I was sleeping in my room and woke up for a midnight pee. Obviously, I peed, and the bathroom light was still on. And for whatever reason, my eyes were drawn to the hallway. The hallway led all the way to the end of the house where the garage was. At the end of the hallway by the door of the garage, I saw a misty white figure literally swaying back and forth. I wouldn't describe it as inhuman, but it wasn't really human either. I could make out arms and legs, but it was somewhat jagged. With each sway, the figure came closer and closer to me. I was scared to death and seriously thought I was hallucinating. I rubbed my eyes and looked again, but the figure was still there and drawing even closer. I ran into my parents' room and slept on their floor that night. The last thing I would like to share was indeed the scariest thing I have ever experienced. I've always slept with my bedroom door open and my closet door shut. One night in my teens, my room door was open while I was sleeping. I believe it was the middle of the night. I was sleeping very well, and I heard my mum whisper my name rather harshly. Rach! I was facing the wall that night, and I was so tired that I just mumbled, Hmm? Half-heartedly. However, she whispered again, in the same somewhat urgent tone. Rach! I mumbled, Hmm? Again. But this time, I turned around to face her. My mother was standing in the open doorway to my room, just staring at me. She didn't say anything, just looked at me. One thing that was different about her was her eyes, which looked absolutely otherworldly and somewhat malevolent. Through her eyes, I knew it wasn't really her. She just stood there, looking at me with eyes full of malice. And then, she literally disappeared. My mother is alive and well. I have never felt such fear in all the things I've experienced in that house. I really didn't know what to do, so I did all that I could think of. I went under the covers and forced myself to sleep. Even though I knew it was not her, I asked my mum the next morning if she went in my room the night before. She did not. Mistakes were made by Nightly Eclipse. Recently, I went to visit a friend, Liz, in her newish house. She told me stories about how she was always creeped out when she was home alone, how she's certain someone was watching her. 
Occasionally, she'd see the shadow of someone walking down her hallway, rattling of cupboards and chairs, the whole works. I figured she was joking around to scare me. As it turns out, she wasn't. I stayed with her for about a week. Day one was pretty tame. I did hear knocking on the walls, I did hear rattling, but I passed that off as her messing with me or her cat running around. Day two was about the same. The only difference is that the TV turned on when nobody was in the room. Day three, four, and five were odd to say the least. We spent most of the week out of the house. A lot of it we spent at a local library, the downtown coffee shop, walking around, meeting new friends, wherever we felt like going at that particular moment. Her parents were working most of the day, and they'd be home about an hour before we'd normally get home. Once, when we walked in, the little rack of coats and hats came crashing down. Coincidence? I want to believe so. Occasionally, I'd see a shadow where there shouldn't be a shadow. Little things like that. Nothing too serious, but weird enough to get me thinking. Days six and seven, though, that was literal hell. Liz's friends had popped over for a few hours, and they decided that the only way to get to the bottom of this was through a Ouija board session. Keep in mind, I am 100% against Ouija boards. Liz, on the other hand, was against it at first, but decided that ten minutes wouldn't be too bad. It was way longer than ten minutes. So, the two friends and Liz decided they'd play. I backed out. No way am I touching that board. For the record, one of us went out and bought a board from the local Toys R Us store. They lit some candles, turned off all the lights, and started asking some basic questions, while I sat on the bed under the covers with their cat Rosewood. It took them a few minutes to get some sort of response. I don't remember all the questions. I remember about four. What's your name? Which was answered with Charlie. Why are you here? Got an answer of my home. Are you a good spirit? Was answered with no. Will you please leave willingly? Was answered with no. Then it got bad. Friend one said, Asshole, this ain't your home anymore. Get the fuck out. Friend two said about the same thing. Then Liz started freaking out. I'm freaking out too, because you never insult a ghost. The planchette started doing a figure of eight, and then the room got ridiculously cold. By that point, Liz had demanded that they ended the session, which they promptly did. After that, we burned the board. It may not have been the right thing to do, and it wasn't, but at the time we were in a panicked state and had no idea what to do. The rest of the day and into the night was pretty tame. The last day, the day I was leaving, the Ouija board showed back up on her front doorstep. We discovered it when I was just leaving to drive back home. We had a bit of a freak out, and long story short, I took the Ouija board and it's now sitting in my closet. I have no idea what to do with it, but seeing as I didn't play the game, I think I'm okay. At least, I hope I am. Either way, mistakes were made. Skull Scare by Cornflower
This took place in the mid-80s, when I was 11 or 12. My mum was an art teacher back then, and my best friend's mum was an artist, so there were a lot of artsy things floating around our two households. Cracked pottery, sculptures, fancy drapes, costume jewellery, you name it. But the one that took the cake was a real human skull that my friend's mum used for a sketching model. How she came to own it is unclear to me. I do know that it wasn't a deceased family member. The first incident took place on an extremely cold evening in January. My friend invited several of us over to her place to hang out. The reason I mention the cold is because she had dark thermal drapes in her room. The drapes kept out the chill, but they also blocked out streetlights, headlights, and whatever natural light was left that day. We decided not to turn on the inside lights and lit a couple of candles instead. After playing a few rounds of cards, one of us had the bright idea that we should try to summon spirits. We had no idea what we were doing, but we wanted to make it a glamorous affair by decorating my friend's dresser with offerings. The dresser had a huge trifold mirror on top. We draped some sparkly necklaces and scarves around the mirror, put some jewellery boxes in front of it, set the candles in front of the mirror, spread out our deck of cards, and you guessed it, placed the skull in the middle of this arrangement. Then we huddled on my friend's bed and waited. None of us knew how to summon spirits, so we just sat there waiting for something to happen. I had some misgivings about using the skull, but went along with the scheme thinking that it was harmless enough. Since I was a little scared, I didn't look at the dresser, but focused my attention on the dark corner shielded from all light by a huge old-fashioned wardrobe. The corner was very dark, and suddenly a faint circular light appeared there and started to grow. Strangely enough, it didn't scare me. I just sat there and watched it get bigger. It felt like a long time, but I doubt that this lasted longer than a few seconds. Suddenly, the bedroom door flew open and my friend's three-year-old brother burst into the room banging potlids together and offering to fry us an egg. The light from the hallway poured into the dark bedroom and the faint circle of light disappeared. I asked my friends later if any of them saw anything. They said they didn't, but they were looking at the dresser and the mirror. I was the only one too scared to look at our centerpiece. I tried to convince myself afterwards that what I saw was perfectly natural. Perhaps it was a ray of light that preceded the opening of the bedroom door, I argued. Unfortunately, no explanation seemed completely adequate. Light from the door would have started as a linear streak, not a circle. Maybe darkness messed with my vision, but then again, perhaps we were all saved from a massive scare, or worse, by a three-year-old chef. The following autumn, my mum borrowed the skull for sketching. For a few weeks, it sat in the middle of our fancy dining room table, the kind that only gets used at Christmas. As I didn't have to see the skull at night, I wasn't particularly scared of it, but generally preferred to steer clear. Several weeks into the skull's temporary residency, my mum called me into the dining room and asked me to bring a duffel bag. She seemed very concerned about something, and when I arrived with the bag, she loaded the skull into it, told me not to touch the skull, 
and asked me to take it back to my friend's house as soon as possible. I was really spooked at that point, and ran rather quickly to my friend's house. When I got back, my mum breathed a sigh of relief, and told me that she thought the school had really bad energy. A few weeks later, she explained that after she brought the school home, all kinds of little things started going wrong. Nothing really serious, just annoying little things. She didn't elaborate, but said that as soon as the school left, everything went back to normal. Hi there guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. Also, if you have a story that you'd like to share, make sure to send it me by email, and you never know, I could be reading it out on the channel. So, until next time, sleep tight. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.